good day and welcome to episode six of our series of weekly podcasts in which we cover various matters of financial planning. We call these financial thinking. Each week we look at a different topic of financial planning and I'm very pleased and proud to have with me my colleagues Craig Murrin. Good day Hi. to you Craig. And Chris Williams. Hello, hello. Now, as I say, we cover a different topic each week, and you can find all of these videos on the GWM USA website. We ourselves are senior financial advisors at GWM USA. Our responsibility is to provide financial planning solutions for residents of the United States. Each week we cover a different topic, and this week we decided that we would talk about the pension time bomb terms of what this is, why is this something that we should all be aware of, and what kind of steps can we be taking to protect ourselves against this so-called time bomb. Gentlemen, I think we all agree this is an important topic for us to cover. Yes, I totally agree because there, there is a Usually. huge problem coming. Well, and it's been broadly recognized. And I think the first thing we need to do is, is just define what we mean by the, the tension pension time bomb and, and identify why this is such a significant issue which can have global repercussions. In one form or another, it's, it's been recognized for quite some time, but it was a couple of years ago that the World Economic Forum produced quite a striking paper in which they specifically referred to the pension time bomb. And what they did is they took the six countries with the largest pension systems in the world, those are the US, the UK, Australia, Canada, Japan, Netherlands. They also added in China and India and ascertained that the total savings gap for those companies to provide pension requirements for those their citizens was $70 trillion. Now by savings gap, what, what they mean is the amount of money that's required and it can be accumulated across government pensions, corporate pensions, personal savings activity. But the total amount of money that's required for the, re the retirees within their states to live on 70% of their pre-retirement income, which is a little bit of a crude way of saying this is how you can sustain your, your quality of life while you're in retirement. Now, the problems that the World Economic Forum identified were twofold. One is that global population life expectancy is increasing all the time. Every decade, life expectancy goes up by around three years. And at the same time, there's a proportionately shrinking amount of global workforce that can sustain the pension requirements of, of those retirees. So essentially, yeah, you've got more people retired who are going to be retired for longer and fewer people around to finance those retirement needs. And having identified in a couple of years ago that it would be around $70 trillion of savings gap requirements. They postulate that if you go forward to 2050, that savings gap grows to around $400 trillion. They say it's growing by $28 billion every year. This is huge. Um, you know, very, another way of putting it is increasingly people are going to be retired for a longer amount of time than they were working. How are they going to finance themselves? How are they going to support themselves during that long time when obviously they still need to eat, travel, do things, pay the bills, pay rents or whatever? So this is what we're talking about. And we're looking at pensions, what they are, various component parts of, of pensions and, and what people can be doing to, to 
optimize their outlook so that they can have the best possible retirement. As I say, gentlemen, I think it's worth just taking a step back and just ascertaining what we think pensions are and where governments essentially came from in the first place to try and solve this situation for their citizens. So yeah, I was, I was doing a bit of uh, research for this episode and looked on the UK pension, which was then called the old age pension, was set up in about 1908, 1909, and was only five shillings a week. Um, which I even with inflation, I don't think that was a lot of money. Well, back in the day, I think it might have been, but um, I still don't think with inflation, it it goes up to a livable wage now. Um, But I think obviously things are a lot more uh, uh, cheaper back then. Um, But it's basically set up to, um, to help help those that didn't, didn't have a a great deal of money and and basically in their older age, when they're not going to be working, um, help support their, their lives basically. What was the life expectancy in 1908? Do you think? I mean, it's got to be. It's got to be a lot lower. What's the life expectancy now? Do you know? Around it's 84. 84, 84 now. 84. So what do you but think? I read, I, well, I read an interesting statistic, which was that um, the now working, the um, the assumed sensible working number is that for people born from 2007 onwards, it's 103. Wow! Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you're getting to a situation where if people retire at the age of 65, or actually we'll come on to that, people retiring later, but yeah, you could have a, at least 40 years of, of, of retirement. So back in Which 1908... Which is a good sign. means the world's in a better place. Healthcare's improved, diet's improved, less stressful life, less stress on the body, which has meant people are living longer, which I suppose is something we didn't really prepare for on that scale 50, 60 years ago. In 1908, in America... The life expectancy for men was 49 and a half. Wow. And for women, 52.8. I think one of the issues is, you know, it was obviously very noble and, and right of, of governments to put these kind of pension schemes in place, but they just didn't foresee they were going to be on the hook. That this was going to be something that would escalate in, in yeah. such a way. It was a lot lower in the UK. It was, in 1907, it was actually 40 years old for, uh, for the UK for men and about 43 for women. Which is crazy. So very, That's only a hundred years ago. Yeah, which very much <coughs> the issue as far as government pensions are concerned. I mean, in, in putting it very shortly, there's not enough money to go around. What well, a state costs. Exactly. If people were getting paid a certain amount of money from the age of seventy back in those days, but the, half the population or the majority of the population wasn't even reaching that age, they never had to pay out. So that's obviously why the the pension pots were increasing. These days, yeah. people are living. You know, if you retire at 65 and you then live until you're 103, that's 40 years almost. I, I read quite a striking um, fact as I was doing some research for this topic, and it's about the US, that the Social Security Trust Fund is projected to run out of funds in the year 2034. 2034, yeah. That's 14 years away. That's, that's going to be within still the working life a lot of people who are seeing this video. It's, oh, that, that personally for me, that scares me because the amount of money that I pay into the social security system here, and I don't have a choice, it's not something you can opt in or opt out of, but money gets taken out of my paycheck every month and goes into the social security that I'm probably not going to benefit from. So the very simple message here, which is people cannot rely on state pensions. They probably knew this already, but it's worth spelling it out. People cannot rely on governments to finance their pensions. And I would say even that that's become 
an even more dire situation in this year of coronavirus and the, the amount of money that, that governments have had to shell out just to keep economies on their feet compromises their situation even more, their ability to finance um, state pension pots. And do you feel the media does enough to, to help inform people? Do, do we do enough to bring this to people's attention? I think we as advisors, the media, no. I don't, I, unless you're specifically looking for pension information then yes but i don't think it's on the in your day-to-day life is there enough warning people of what a retirement shortfall really means and the reduction in lifestyle that means you can hear these terms but to really sort of visualize what that can mean for your for your later years we typically you might be a bit more vulnerable and need a bit more financial security should we do you think we should be doing it more to let people well, there is clearly a, an issue with communication and referring back to that world economic forum report they actually do give five guidelines that they recommend for for this time bomb to be offset and one of those points they make is there needs to be much better communication for people to understand what it is they've got in terms of government entitlement and obviously you'd assume that people will be given a message that there's not a lot there and maybe if we're looking at something 30 or 40 years in the future, there might be next to nothing there as far as government entitlements are concerned. Well, some of the money that has been paid out, certainly here in the US, for uh, stimulus packages and things recently, um, given COVID, has come from the social security pot. So that article that you've read or, or that you, you shared, um, 2034, that's going to expire. The, the, the social security pot runs out. That actually may, might be a lot sooner because of what's recently happened. Um, unless sort of taxes start to increase and people start paying back into that pot, uh, it, could, it could expire a lot sooner. Yeah. I mean, yeah, governments are very much on the hook. And in fairness to governments, I mean, they've, they've seen this coming. They've recognized it. And, and they have tried to take certain measures. So, for example, we see around the world statutory um, uh, retirement ages are being pushed higher and higher. The traditional retirement age of 65 is expected to gradually add up to 70 over the next 20 years. We're already at 66, 67 in the US and the UK. So, you know, people are going to have to work for longer until they can avail any state pension that might be available. Then the other thing that, that governments have been doing, I think this brings us on neatly to sort of the next part of this topic, is to make workplace pension schemes, but certainly compulsory in the UK, I'm going to assume widely compulsory in the United States as well. So I think it brings us on and in terms of the entitlements that people have out of their, their, their jobs and the companies that they work for. Which is a fantastic system in place where the company will match contributions in the most part defined contribution schemes will match contributions from the employer and the employee into the same pot, which is a great initiative. Um, but that still won't eliminate the pension shortfall entirely, will it? No, indeed. And we will come on into what else there might yeah. be out there. But, but certainly having that kind of company pension is extremely important. But I, I guess the question is... Again, and you asked a question earlier, Chris, about the government side. People yeah. who have these policies or these schemes, how much do they know about them? Do they know what their entitlements are? And do they know how they can be optimizing these, these schemes that they have? It's very. And I think definitely in this day and age, you know, you can be in a job for five years, then you might move to another sort of industry or another company. And each time you've got different pots accumulating, growing, which over the course of a lifetime can accumulate into a fairly sizable sum that you weren't aware of as the pot's just been accumulating in the background. Um, 
what steps can people go through, do you think, to sort of find out what they've had, what they've currently got and, and helping them sort of look to consolidate those together? Well, before we jump onto that, I will just say it's very clear when speaking to numerous clients here in the US that not many people are aware of what they have in their UK pensions, for sure, private pensions, whether it's, sorry, not even UK here, you know, people are not aware of what they have and, and, uh, um, and what they can do with it. So um, that is certainly something that is under undereducated. Um, and now what people can do with it and what options people have got, everyone's different, everyone's pension is going to be different, whether it's a, an IRA or a 401k or a DC scheme over in the UK. Um, the, the best possible thing you can do is just Find, speak to your pension provider, speak to the administrator, or speak to a financial advisor, obviously, um, and ask what your benefits are. Ask them for an up-to-date statement. Um, you can get that. You'll be able to ask, find out from that what your fees are that you're paying, what you're invested into, when you can start accessing the money, what penalties you might have if you want to access it earlier, um, or if you have an emergency, can you access the money and things like that. So, just asking the questions certainly um, is worthwhile. If you don't remember who you work for, don't remember where your pension is, um, then give us a shout and we can give you some some hints and tips of, of how to kind of find that out. But reach out to your pension company and ask them what you can do or what you have, I think is the first place to start. It's absolutely your right to do so. It's your pension. You have every right to find out exactly what's in it. You've contributed into it. And for some people, it can be a lot bigger than they were expecting, for others not. But it, it, you know, we, we worry about buying a house, we buy a car, we, we kind of build all these big financial investments. And yet we don't always know what our pension's looking like. We just assume I mean, it's working way in the background and everything's going to be okay in the end. I mean, policyholders should by rights be receiving an annual statement of, of their company pension I would go so far as to say that not everyone does receive that. And in which case, if they're not, then they should certainly be looking for it. And if they are receiving it, they should look at it. They should try to understand what those numbers are. I mean, this is a huge asset that, that people potentially have. I think a lot um, of people think, don't update their addresses if they move. And that's why they don't receive it. Because I think most administrators, especially um, regulated, I mean, all pensions are regulated, FCA in the UK, SEC here. Um, so they are... They will be sending out those annual statements for sure, but if you're not receiving them, it's more than likely they haven't got your up-to-date information. And to understand the lingo as well, some of them can be needlessly complicated in the reports with stuff like additional voluntary contributions and, and all these different aspects. Don't be afraid to ask the question of what that what it all means. Mm. One of the challenges that I think comes with this, and you kind of hinted at, at it earlier, Chris, is people change jobs move on um, and it's almost a case of out of sight out of mind you know you move to another job you become very focused on what you're doing yeah. it's very easy to forget that you've left behind a pension scheme at the previous company which is still there it's still performing it should still ideally be growing in value but it's as i say it's very easy to, to lose sight of that particularly even if you change job two or three times or four times you know that's that's a job that you were doing four companies ago um, what are the sort of things that you suggest to people about, you know, what, what, what they should be doing about those pensions that they've, they've left behind? Certainly monitoring them. Um, there may not be, and this is half the problem, I think, when people forget about them is because they think the amount of money is negligible. They think, it, oh, there's only a couple of grand in there or whatever it might be. Mm. But if you've got four or five pensions that have all got a few grand in, then that all adds up to quite a lot together. So um, I would certainly be looking at what, the money is invested into, uh, depending on your age. Most pensions are cautious, low risk. 
um, because it's going to be invested into a pot with everyone else's money. So your money as a 40-year-old is being invested with someone who's maybe 57, and you've got very, very different targets, uh, investment targets, also investment timescales. So you as a 40-year-old, you may contact your, your pension company and look at it, and it's all invested into bonds and low-risk things, whereas you might have 20, 30, 40 years ahead of you that you want to be more aggressive. You want to have, have it in a, an equity fund or, or whatever it might be. So look at what the, the funds are invested in in your pensions to see if it's growing for you rather than just being managed as a, as a group. Coming back to the time value of money, which we spoke about a few weeks ago, didn't we? So obviously the way it compounds up by reducing your charges a little bit or by going into something that will appreciate more with time, your yeah. pension can take a significant rise in value if you are around 40 or, or what have you. There's so much time for that money to be appreciating for you. Don't lose out on that time you have because um, it could save you or make you a significant sum. Yeah, and I'd also add, kind of adding to, to, to Craig's argument is just don't accept the status quo. Um, mm. Don't just have a policy that's sitting there and assume, well, that's it, it's out of my hands, it's being managed by someone, let's keep our fingers crossed that it's being managed in the right way. No, it is possible to be more, more proactive and actually achieve something better through your pension if you believe it's not really performing or being managed in the right way. And then, you know, this is the kind of value that we can bring and advise on and help people take an objective and dispassionate view. So, you know, is it right to leave pensions where they are or is there something more active and more beneficial that you can be doing with them? Yeah, I mean, there, there certainly is. And it all obviously depends on each individual. Um, and that's kind of, you know, what we look at is just to see what is the best thing for you financially, whether that is leaving it where it is or if there's something else out there, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll be the ones to kind of tell you that and, and be very open and honest with you. Because the good news is once we do find out what pensions you have, once we do find out what kind of sums you're looking for in the future, you can then start to make those calculations and plug that gap. And if we develop the idea that you would like so much salary or so much of an income to fund your retirement, we can then figure out, okay, how are we going to get you there? So you have your pensions here. Do you have some other types of investments here? All this to bring together to then obviously give you a fantastic life. Um, because retirement's meant to be the, the best years of your life. It's meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be lived. You earned it. Um, so let's build a strategy to get you there. It's often sort of my, my enthusiasm to get it right. I thought that your school years were your best years of your life. Uh, it depends. I think every, okay, every year is the best year of your life, right? But um, I, think, I think if you live your life assuming the best years of your life already happened, there's no way to live your life. Yeah, no, I got you. I got you. Um, well, so, and there's, that, so there's a lot to look forward to. Um, yeah, that's you know, it. If I was to say to you, Simon, don't give me a number, but how much money would you like to have in retirement? And you could be like, okay, well, I'd like, I'd like this salary, maybe reflecting my current salary. I'm like, okay, we can start building up pots together. Uh, annuity rates are particularly low, and they have been for a significant amount of time. So you can't just do the easy thing of saying buy an annuity anymore. That option's gone now for a significant amount of time. But what options do we have? What drawdown options do we have? What uh, income funds do we have to sort of give you that regular stream of money coming in? Uh, so you don't have to have to worry about it anymore. I think it's interesting that as an institution as august as the World Economic Forum, they take that rationale of people in retirement living ideally on around 70% of their pre-retirement okay. income. Now, obviously, that's very broad brush. Um, it's, it's very average, but it's a good starting point. That The fact that someone like the WEF does that gives us a strong basis 
for making it identifiable what people's retirement needs are going to look like. You began to draw attention to it, Chris, you know, identifying what your, your retirement scenario looks like. What are you going to need? What we can bring to the table is, is help people identify that need in 10, 20, 30 years, however long the time frame is, build an inflation scenario. And then, as Chris has suggested, identify what the shortfall is. We'll identify that you may or may not have some kind of government entitlement. We can see what your, your corporate entitlements are going to be. And then what's left? What, what, what do we need to fill that gap? And what do you need to be doing in order to achieve that? Yeah. So and for I, anyone listening, have a think to yourself now and think, okay, how much money would I want to live off in retirement? In retirement, you're not working in the way that you used to. So you've probably got more free time. Your house um, would have been paid off by the time you retire as well. So you shouldn't have to worry about a mortgage. You've probably got a significant amount of health left as well and time left to be active, traveling, um, kind of maybe traveling the world, using some of that money to fund that as well. Um, so have a think about what that figure means to you. And, that, and you can start to work backwards. I'm like, okay, I would like this amount of money. Um, what do I have to do to get there? And that's when starting to figure out what pension schemes you have, starting to look at shortfall risk, uh, which is not having enough money in retirement, starting to think how much do I have to save to get me there, plugging that gap. Um, it's, not a, it's not a complicated science, it's just numbers. And the earlier you start pulling that figure there, the better retirement will end up being. Yeah, as you said, it is possible to, to identify. I mean, some people know, for example, from an early age that they're going to retire to Vietnam or Costa Rica. And equally, there might be some people who want to retire in Monte Carlo. Well, you can quickly work Google to find out what the cost of living in those, build a retire, an inflation scenario into it mm-hmm. for the number of years until that point that you want to retire. And that gives you your, your target income. Yeah. It's true. And, you know, when I said it, it's, it's not that hard a science. Well, it, it can be complicated. Just to rescind that comment slightly, you do need to think about inflation. You do need to think about stabilizing your portfolio and decreasing risk and moving into steady instruments as you hit that retirement date. Um, but it's not, it's nothing that couldn't be put into place for you at all. Yeah. Where, where would you want to retire? Simon, quick question. Simon Craig, where would be your ideal retirement destination? Probably Africa. Africa. Any reason? Or? I love Africa. The country's beautiful. The animals, the people living expenses are low. Um, and just if it all goes belly up in, in the Western world, I think that Africa is the place where I can, can continue to live and be safe and healthy. <laughs> that's a, a very great, broad range. That's any, anywhere between Algeria and South Africa. <laughs> I mean, it, it would that probably is, is a be, continent. <laughs> it would probably be central, maybe Kenya, uh, Malawi. I spent a lot of time in. Um, I did a lot of charity work over there, and I, I really quite like Malawi. Um, so I wouldn't be against living over there. But that kind of area, that that kind of central uh, part. Yeah. What about you, Simon? Any any I thoughts? Think, or? For me, the Far East. Um, I like the idea of Vietnam or, or Cambodia. Um, I've been over to that that region a lot of times and yeah, the weather's good. Cost of living is good. Yeah. Um, infrastructure is good. Relaxed pace of life. So yeah, no, that, that's my dream. Yeah. And, you, and yourself, Chris? Um, probably somewhere with sunshine. That's where I'd, I'd initially start. Although I do, I'd maybe like to have some time spent in the UK, some time spent in America or find a way to go between the two. Maybe. Yeah, there'll be a lot of traveling, certainly in my retirement. It's not going to be just one sort of sit down, get my blanket, get my, uh, my rocking chair out and off I go. It'll be um, hopefully a lot of activeness, but a, a base in a few countries, um, potentially. So I think what we've identified is that, you know, overall, people's pension 
story is a lot more complicated than it used to be. You know, in the, in the old days, it was, you know, what, what is the state going to give me until I pass away? Mm-hmm. Now we've got different strands to build into the picture. So there may or may not be some kind of government entitlement. There should be some, some company pensions from all your years of working. And then also the third part of it is whatever savings activity you've been doing yourself to, to build up any shortfall or just simply to save for retirement. Yeah. So I think those are three strands. I think then in terms of identifying a call to action, um, a, you know, a, a plan, as it were, to begin putting yourself in the right position, it's interesting just to sort of postulate three recommendations as to how you can begin to think about these things. Guys, do you want to pick that up? I, my, my first takeaway would be speak, speak to your HR tomorrow yeah. to find out what pensions options you have available to you. Have you been offered all the options you should? Have you taken advantage of the options you should? If you haven't, perhaps that's a conversation you could have. And very often you get taxed relief up to a certain amount or you'll have contributions made for you. Either way, that's a fantastic way to start accumulating wealth. Um, and I said, be proactive about finding out what you have in place already. If you have some schemes, make sure you find out what's in them and make sure they're working for you. Yeah, certainly with the, um, with the speaking to your HR, if you're in your current employment um, and you've not started doing anything for your retirement or it's not something on your radar, definitely ask them because as Chris uh, mentioned then, you do get um, tax relief on 401k contributions. Um, you can uh, potentially get the company to match you to a certain percentage as well. Um, which will, which really helps if you're putting some money in and someone else is putting some money, that's free money for you. Use it. The companies have to give these options out. And if you're not asking for it, they're not going to tell you because it costs them money sometimes. So exactly. certainly be asking and the question. Always okay. remember to have a figure in mind. Maybe my, my final start to think already, how much money do I want in retirement? Obviously yeah. inflation and that all factors in, but what kind of income would you like to have to support the life that you would want? And just to start to give that some thought. I think that's right. So first we've got talk to your, your company, make sure you're getting the right benefits and maximizing. Second point is identify what you need, what mm-hmm. your retirement actually looks like. And I think third, a third call to action would be simply start. Do, do it. Do Act. something. Yeah. Don't yeah. procrastinate. That's the biggest factor in, in any kind of financial saving, planning, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's actually, just, oh, yeah, yeah, I know I need to do it. I'll get it done at some point. I'll get it done at some point. And then before you know it, you're 55 and going, oh, my goodness, I'm about to retire or I want to think about retiring. And, and I, I've got to ramp up my savings for the next 10 years just because I need to hit something. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to save? I mean, I, we've said this in one of the other episodes, what we would tell our younger selves, you know, 20 years ago. Now, it, it, start doing it now because in 20 years' time, you're not, you don't want to look back at yourself and go, oh, I should have done it, I should have done it, I should have done it. Yeah, and I think the reality is that for a lot of people, they only really begin to focus on this from the age of 50, which is yeah. often when you know, kids have finished their education, done with university, and, and the parents can then sort of sit back and think, well, what about us? Yes. Um, I know it's sometimes easier said than done, but you know, the ability to have been doing something in all the preceding years just... Mm-hmm. just improves your chances for, for the future. It. it doesn't even have to be big, just something. We've said this even with savings, you know, at any age, but just something so that when the kids do go off and when you've got your life and you sit back and go, all right, let's look at us, you've already started and you just need to maybe increase rather than starting from scratch at that point. Yeah. So I think, you know, as a summary, we've identified that there is a pension time bomb. There is a very serious consideration out there. 
But the good news is we have it in our hands to be able to, to protect ourselves, to improve our chances, to shield ourselves, as it were, from that time bomb. We, we have a lot of capability and means at our disposal, and, and we are here to help on that and guide people so they can truly see what it is they have and, and, and what their outlook appears to be. I would totally agree with that and um, second it. I, I don't need to add anything on top of it. Very well said, Simon. For the people who have been following these episodes, please tell other people. Um, these episodes can be found on LinkedIn, on the GWM USA website. What am I missing, Craig? YouTube, Facebook? YouTube, um, Facebook, they're posted on. So pretty much anything online. Um, and we are soon to be on a podcast platform of your choosing. Um, we're just finalizing the, uh, or dotting the T's and crossing the I's, as they say. We're still Excellent. working on national television, but we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, our TV spots are coming later. <laughs> yeah, very soon. Very, very soon. And we've figured out one or two topics we're going to cover in the next couple of weeks, but um, we do remain open to any suggestions and ideas that you would like us to cover. That would be our pleasure. For sure. Well, with that, thank you, gentlemen. It's a pleasure as always. Great. Thank you. Great stuff, guys. See you soon. See ya.